Mike. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Mike. When's the last time you hung out with a friend in VR? Uh, never. Literally never. Never never have. All of my VR excursions into the metaverse have been solo so far. What are you doing in there? Playing games, moving things around. Well, Mike, despite how fun VR can be, not a lot of people have gotten into it. That's very true. It's still uh, less than mainstream. That's correct. We should talk about this. Let's do it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. And I am Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. And this week, we have a very special guest. We're joined by Wired writer Boone Ashworth, who is typically here in the room with us for this podcast because he's the producer of this show and he gets to hear all of our inane dialogue every week. And now he gets to participate in it, too. Hey, Boone. Hi, how's it going? It's weird to be on this side of the mic. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, you, listeners may know Boone as the uh, the voice of the ad. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. Yeah. Because he reads most of yeah. our ads. He does Do you like ads. this mattress in a box? Yeah. <laughs> He's like our Paul to David Letterman. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Also, well, Boone Ashworth is his real name. Yeah. Like, it's such a cool name. It sounds made up, but it's real. Yeah, I blame my parents. Hi, mom. Who's uh, who's running the board, man? I don't know. <laughs> I guess we'll see how this goes. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I hope that this podcast makes it out into the universe <laughs> or maybe the metaverse. All right. So today we're talking about VR. A lot of companies are still trying to make VR happen. Uh, later in the show, we're going to talk about Meta, which has huge ambitions and has said it's willing to spend billions to get people jacked into the metaverse. But first, we're going to talk about Sony. Sony also has a VR system, and it's tied to its popular game system, PlayStation. Next year, Sony is going to be releasing the new version of its VR headset. This is the first update in six years. It's got all sorts of new tech. And Boone here got a demo of it. It's called the PSVR 2. Boone, I see you're back here in the real world, which makes me think we haven't lost you forever to the metaverse. Did your PSVR 2 demo live up to the hype? If by hype you mean Sony's promise to uh, escape into worlds that feel truly real, then I guess sort of sometimes there was like brief flashes where I kind of felt myself fully immersed into the virtual world that I was in. But for the most part, I kind of just felt like I was wearing a VR headset. I mean, it's very pretty. The the resolution is incredible. It feels much nicer than any other VR system that I've ever put on. But, you know, you're still wearing a headset that's plugged into the PlayStation and waving around some controllers. So <laughs> so it does come with controllers. That's that's a change, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's there are updates of like PlayStation's move controllers, which mm-hmm. they you know, came out with or paired with the PlayStation VR 1 released in 2016. The new controllers are called VR 2 Sense controllers. I think I have that right. Um, they've got the same kind of features that the the DualSense controller on the PS5 has now, which is like these adaptive controls that, you know, have this tension when you squeeze them so it feels like you're pulling a real trigger, I guess. I'm not really a gun guy, so um, I don't know if it feels exactly like a gun trigger. It's also got this haptic feedback, which is kind of the little rumbles that you feel, um, you know, when you run into something in the game, you'll feel the vibrations in there. Um, and it's got these motion controls. The, the controllers feel 
they're a little less intuitive for me than the the just sitting there with like a normal gamepad just because I'm not as used to it. But definitely when you get in the motions of it, of swinging things around, you know, classic VR type stuff, moving your hands around and, you know, chopping zombies heads off and stuff like that. It's it's pretty cool. And the headset itself also has haptics in it this time, right? Yeah, yeah. So the, the headset will straight up vibrate against your forehead while you're doing stuff. I mean, does I, it I think... Does it feel like a scalp massage? Like, does it feel good? To, to be perfectly honest, I didn't really notice it all that much. Huh. I don't know that the vibrations get quite that crazy. That would be something I I think that they should look into though because that seems like a good use case <laughs> i would buy it if it's just like these little hands reached out in the headset and started massaging your head if there was little hands in the headset yeah i don't <laughs> yeah. know if i would buy it <laughs> advanced robotics yeah that might be a special accessory uh so do we know when it's coming out exactly or how much it costs or anything like that Nope, I'm a great podcast guest because I don't know any of that. <laughs> Does anyone know? <laughs> I asked all of those questions. Sony's still withholding it. They said sometime in 2023. So that could be January or December, I suppose. Sure. Um, I, I don't know. I don't they wouldn't give me a wait for it. I, I forgot my, you know, little scale to set it on top of. <laughs> don't really carry that around much anymore. Yeah. Um, so I don't I don't know how much it weighs. The the last one was 1.3 pounds, I think. It felt right around like that. Like when you just pick it up, it feels pretty light. Um, putting it on your head is a little bit different. I could definitely feel it on my head the whole time. Yeah. But I have no idea how much it's going to cost. The The first one came out at $3.99, I think. And I think now you can buy it for about 100 bucks. So yeah. I could imagine it would be more than that since it's got a lot of new, you know, fancy features in it, OLED screens and all these haptics. And, and it's, you know, it's a premium headset for the PS5 alone. So that's already a pretty expensive console. I can imagine the accessories. I do want to ask one technical question about this, uh, because this demo day that you participated in, it was basically like the first look that journalists got at what the headset looks and feels like and what it's like to wear it. And it has some new technology in it called foveated rendering. Am I saying that properly? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Yeah. It's really exciting stuff. <laughs> uh, tell us about that and what it does. Yeah. So uh, I am not a foveation expert. I don't know if that's a real thing. <laughs> um, foveated rendering essentially is so. So what this headset has in it is it has eye tracking technology, which is a thing that VR headsets have been doing lately. And so you put it on, you set it up, you you know move your eyeballs around to kind of get a sense of where your pupils are looking. And the foveated rendering, rendering, foveated rendering, yeah. Sounds uses... like a band, <laughs> except a band name that no one wants to ever say. Yeah. <laughs> Please continue. Um, it, it essentially, it renders in focus what you're looking at. So when you look at something like in real life, if you were to hold your hand up to your face and focus on that, everything else around it is kind of blurry. You see mm -hmm. this in photography and video too. It's it's the depth of field stuff. So mm -hmm. what's in focus is obviously sharp and in focus and everything around it, you know, it's kind of blurry and out of focus. Foveated rendering does that in the headset because wherever your eyes looking, it renders that sharply, but everything else around it is kind of blurry. So it, it actually saves processing power and energy by just kind of focusing on where exactly you're looking and then, you know, not focusing on what's around you quite so much. It's cool. I think in theory, it's it's a great idea. Um, I think it's going to kind of depend on how games implement it, because some of the demos that we did, um, some of it, some of them did it better than others. There were some times that I would like I would look from thing to thing and I could definitely feel this sort of like out of focus blurriness around everything else that felt a little disorienting. Mm. It might just be that I don't have my sea legs, so to speak, in VR, but 
yeah, when you kind of like move your eyes around and look from place to place, you can kind of feel the focus shifting. And I think it just takes some time to get used to that and, and use the tech to implement it properly. So this thing has a 4K OLED display. Mm-hmm. It has eye tracking. It has foveated rendering, which I now want to call bloviated rendering. <laughs> it has 3D audio, haptics, improved controllers and haptics in the headset and controllers. It's like this whiz-bang, high-tech, super cool headset that we don't know sh- when it's shipping. That's okay. <laughs> Um, it's still tethered, right? Yeah. So what's nice about it is that all you need is a PS5 if you can get one of those. You know, <laughs> that's its own task. Um, and it just plugs right in with the USB-C port to the PS5. But it is still hooked up to a cord. You can't unplug the cord from the headset. So like the Meta, que- the Meta Oculus Quest 2 has wire-free connection and so you can basically just wander around jump up and down you know without having to worry about hitting the cord i definitely hit the cord on the psvr2 a number of times because it's right there and you're flailing around with your controllers and it's kind of just hanging off the side of your head so i think you get used to it and you might you know know how to move around it but it is still you're still hooked to the machine and the idea i guess is that this is really going to be for gamers and gamers are primarily sitting there playing games as opposed to like you know waving beat sabers around yeah jumping jacks yeah or standing in in one spot you know it it lets you set up a play area and account for if you have like stools or you know random things in your in your house um but yeah you can just sit there on the couch and and just you know, wave the thing around too. So I think if you're doing that, it's not that big of a deal. But if it was kind of a meta thing and you're wanting to hang out in the metaverse and wander around and play a pickup game of VR basketball or whatever meta was trying to say you could do, (laughs) um, then I I think the cord's going to get in your way. I mean, I I think it's like a minor annoyance, but it's definitely something that I would like hit and get angry at every now and then, especially if I'm in the heated moment of, you know, trying to whack a zombie with the baseball bat or something and how many games do we think are going to be available when this thing ships i don't know um there's a i believe all of the ones that are available for playstation vr1 I, I think what they're calling it um i think those are all going to be available on on the second iteration of it um we tried out the demo thing they they gave us four different games to try out i think there might be a dozen or so that'll be available um i don't actually know the exact number but between several and several dozen. (laughs) Told you, great podcast guest. Yeah, yeah. You're welcome back anytime. (laughs) All right, should we take a quick break? Yeah. Let's do it. All right, let's let's widen our field of view. What do you say? Sorry, okay. (laughs) All right, we cannot talk about virtual reality without talking about Meta because Meta has the overwhelming share of the VR market right now, but it's still a really small business compared to Facebook's broader business, and it's still a tiny, tiny sliver of the consumer tech market. At the same time, I will say that based on personal experience using it, MetaQuest 2 is probably the best VR experience I've had. I have not had the Sony demo that Boone has had, and yet it's still not mainstream. So my question to you both, what will it take for VR to go mainstream? Anyone? Anyone? Not having to log in with your Facebook account? Yeah. For me. <laughs> I don't think you have to do that anymore. Oh. I think now Meta slash Oculus slash Quest 2, et cetera, is decoupled from the Facebook oh. login. Oh, good. Yeah. I, t- I take back everything so bad I've said about Facebook. <laughs> well, I mean, you have to you have to log into Oculus, yeah. which is owned by Facebook. Eh. So it's still your, you know, 
the the tunnel is still leading to the same place. It's just a longer journey, I, I think. Yeah, but just not having it linked to my public Facebook account is nice or private, I guess, account. I think yeah. I, what I'm hearing you say is that the whole idea that it's made by the company formerly known as Facebook is what's sort of in your mind a barrier. Yeah, for I mean, I, I the whole metaverse thing is I, I get a little squeamish about it, mostly because Facebook has done some, you know, crazy things that we here at Wired have written about. <laughs> um, I, I'm just not uh, I'm not 100 percent ready to just jump straight on into the metaverse that that's almost like a little bit of the appeal of the playstation one is that it's just hooked to your playstation and yes i have a playstation account but like i'm using that to play games not to you know go in and and make purchases in metaverse stores or anything like that you know tying to my real world wallet or real world accounts or anything like that so well you know i would say what it would take for vr to be mainstream is something that is first of all much cheaper Right. Cost is a huge barrier. Mm -hmm. The fact that you have to spend at least a couple hundred dollars to get into this world and you have to have something to plug it into, whether that's a PS5 or a computer with the correct graphics card. Uh, that's a big deal. Wireless is also a big deal. Mm -hmm. You know, when they can make something that uh, that is inexpensive and is not tethered. But really, I think like the awkwardness is probably the biggest barrier for most people, even people who like have the money and are interested in it. The fact that you're wearing this dorky headset and that you're flailing around your living room waving controllers, it just, it feels awkward to a lot of people. And I know people who are serious gamers don't have a problem with it. A lot of people have gotten over that because they've had really great experiences in VR. So the awkwardness is not that big of a deal, but I, this is, I know this is asking a lot, but if they can make a headset that looks cool, <laughs> it will be much, much easier to get millions of people to wear them. And I must say, it is very strange to be in this world that we're in to be talking about something that has sold literally tens of millions of units as not being mainstream. But we're talking about breaking into the like the hundreds of millions. Right, right. right. And like mass adoption. Like when you go, the water cooler conversation is not about you know, the Sims or like the new Switch game. It's about a VR game, which hasn't happened for me yet. Right. That's fair. So what you're saying is that Facebook's upcoming project, Cambria, isn't going to be the thing that uh, tips it over the edge for you because it doesn't look cool. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot to be said about like high powered VR headsets, right? About like pro level VR headsets and things that, you know, can be untethered and have a great experience and are not heavy. But like those are not mainstream devices. The mainstream device is something that is much, much more manageable for everybody. Yeah, I agree. We should also probably just like talk about Facebook's remarkable history in VR, right? Because Facebook first purchased Oculus, I believe, in 2014 for $2 billion. Um, side story, I was in grad school at Stanford at the time, and this was either in late 2013 or like the first month of 2014, when there was like sort of a commotion in the communications department at Stanford one day because Mark Zuckerberg was visiting. And he was visiting the Human Computer Interaction Lab at Stanford University's campus, which is where they had all the Oculus Rift headsets mm. to run experiments. And he was basically there to try out the Rift. Fast forward like a couple months later, buys you know Oculus Rift for two billion dollars, and pretty much since then, you know, Facebook has been expanding this business. They call it Reality Labs now. They've committed billions of dollars to building this business. And yet when you look at some of the data that's put forth by third-party analysts, 
they've sold like 15 million units. That's still a lot more than other companies, but it's it's really, really small. Mm-hmm. And for the past couple of years, they've been teasing this new thing called Project Cambria, which is still like your your face is sort of fully immersed, your eyes are fully immersed, but they look a little bit more like goggles than they yeah. do a giant headset. And that's the thing I think we're going to see next month in October. I think what's going to be most interesting is just the next, the next, next thing. Like, if Facebook is working on augmented reality glasses that are going to come out in either tw- late 2023 or 2024, that's what's going to be most interesting. If Apple comes out with a VR headset next year, 2023, and it's bigger, bulky, over $1,000 and is you know aimed at enterprise or whatever, it's, whoever it's going to be for, developers maybe, it's going to be the thing after that that's mm-hmm. most interesting. The most interesting thing might not even be Sony's PS5 VR2, right? It might be the next version, although this one did take six years. So hopefully it doesn't (laughs) take that long again. I think it's still very early, and I think there's been so much emphasis. I've I've talked to people in the industry about this, and they say there's so much emphasis on the hardware right now. And the hardware is like, you know, it's marching along, but it's going to be software experiences, like really compelling software that drive the VR market, and it's going to be really lightweight heads up stuff. Yeah, that that is a good point. Like we don't really have a killer app yet. No, we don't. It could be Halo if there was an Xbox headset. It could be Halo. Halo could be the killer app. Do we know if that's coming? I'm looking at Boone. Do we know if that's coming? I I wish I knew if that was coming. (laughs) It's not going to be on HoloLens, you're telling me? (laughs) Yeah. I think there's a lot of DNA at Microsoft, right? There's like, yeah, the HoloLens, which is still $3,500. There's Kinect, motion tracking that plugs into Xbox. But yeah, there's no Xbox headset. Hmm. That's, I mean, it kind of seems like the use cases for VR, at least for me, aren't enough to get me to spend $400 on a headset yet because, I mean, some of the games that I played were pretty cool, um, but it's a lot of like, it's a lot of like, hey, here's the thing that you can pick up and toss around here. You know, it feels, I don't want to say gimmicky, but it's a lot of like, okay, you can knock bottles over or you can, you know, throw a dart at the dartboard in VR or something like that. Or it's, you know, hey, here you can have a virtual boardroom or something like there's mm-hmm. just there just isn't something that compels me to want to jump into the world and put on this still pretty uncomfortable yeah. headset. You know, like they, they, it's awkward. I, I'm not so concerned about looking cool. I've kind of given up on the point of my life where I like imagine I'm going to look cool doing anything. <laughs> so I just want the headset to be comfortable. I just want it to not dig a big divot into my nose when I've been wearing it for a half an hour, you yeah. know. Um, and a half hour does seem to be like the max generally yeah. people say that they're like, it, like it's totally anecdote but it's like oh 30 minutes of wearing that and then you take it off and like your forehead is just sweating oh, I, like yeah i've definitely felt that yeah yeah it is the limit for me yeah the most hilarious thing to me is when you do a vr demo with a company that's building software for the enterprise but in vr and you end up like taking a half hour to just make sure the thing is charged and log in authenticate using like you know, hand controllers, which is super awkward, <laughs> navigating in VR, finding the app, adjusting it so it's comfortable on your face and everything. And you end up in this briefing where they're like, and here's our like, t- you know, 2D whiteboard in a 3D virtual environment. And I'm like, we could have zoomed. We yes. totally could have zoomed. <laughs> yes, I completely agree. Because like, you know, right before the pandemic hit, there was all of this talk about presence being like the next big thing for VR. It's, it wasn't going to be games. It was going to be presence. It was going to be, we can hang out with each other around the world, wherever we are. And it's like, we really just are fine with Zoom and screen sharing and just looking at each other's screens. FaceTime is fine. We don't need to put on headsets to connect with one another, to feel like we can have a real conversation. 
because it's much more natural to have a real conversation like you're actually having a conversation, right? This is this is going to sound very uh, old man yells at cloud, but I'm I'm still fine with audio. <laughs> I mean, the the whole pandemic, my brother and I have been staying in, you know, staying in connection by playing games and we just put on the headset yep. and we'll play on PlayStation or whatever and just play a game, but be able to talk to each other. And I don't need to, like, you know, be able to make eye contact with him in order to know he's there or carry on a conversation. Like, I don't I don't need to feel like I'm in the room to feel like I'm connecting with somebody. I just need to be able to talk with them and, like, have some fun while I'm doing it. So are you going to buy a PSVR 2 to plug into your PS5? I, the 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 one game that made me consider it was Horizon Call of the Mountain. Um, I, I like the Horizon games a lot. They're like, it's like a bunch of people were like, hey, let's make the prettiest game we could possibly make. And so the environment is really cool. Um, that was the game that I played and it felt like there was a, a moment where I kind of forgot that I was wearing all of this gear and holding all of these things and standing in this weird room at the PlayStation Studios and was able to just kind of exist in this, you know, beautiful jungle world. Um, I don't know if that's enough to make me immediately buy the thing when it comes out, because I would want more experiences like that. You know, it's like going to be a seven, eight hour game, something like that. And they're just um, a lot of the other stuff that I've seen in VR, you know, feels kind of blurry, feels kind of like, let's knock some more things off of shelves. And it's just there there isn't enough games to pull me to it quite yet. That's fair. And Horizon is not to be confused with Meta Worlds Horizon. Or yeah. Meta Horizon World. Horizon Workroom. Horizon something. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Very, very confusing. Horizon Conference Rooms. Yes. I can't possibly imagine why the normies haven't adopted all of this yet. It's not confusing at all. You know, it may never happen. You think? I, yeah, I think it, it may never happen. Oh, we, my God. Kevin Kelly just shuddered wherever he is. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Kevin. But it may never happen. We, you know, we may just use this as like a bridge to the thing that actually does happen. Maybe it's AR through a smartphone's camera. Maybe it's not glasses. Maybe it's not something that's face worn. You know, I it, maybe it's holograms. Who knows? But like I it's possible at this point that we'll look back in 20 years at like 2000. 12 ish to about 2025 ish as well we tried vr but it didn't really work just go full matrix just plug a thing in the back of my neck and put me out <laughs> yeah bcis baby <laughs> bcis bring them on chip me <laughs> oh I, i'm serious it's like you know it could it could just be like okay we don't need goggles because we can tap right into your retinas is this a pitch for Neuralink? yeah that's so what i'm saying <laughs> maybe not Neuralink, but yeah <laughs> Brain computer interfaces. That's where it's at. That's where to put your money, kids. <laughs> All right, I'll wait for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on that note, let's take another quick break while we um, implant chips in our brains. Or at least mine. This is the part of Gadget Lab where we give our weekly recommendations for something that we're into this week. And Boone, as our guest of honor and our producer... You get to go first. Ooh, Ooh okay. All What's right. on your mind fun. this week? <laughs> um, this, I mean, this is probably a less fun recommendation. If you are in the West Coast or, you know, California specifically right now, you probably know that it's wildfire season. Mm-hmm. Everybody's favorite time of the year. Just kidding. It's all year long now. <laughs> um, I have been reading a book called Paradise, One Town's Struggle to Survive an American Wildfire. It's by Lizzie Johnson who is now a writer at the Washington Post, I believe. But back in 2018, she was at the San Francisco Chronicle and she reported on the campfire, which was 
the state's deadliest and most destructive wildfire. And last year, she came out with this book, Paradise, which is, um, you know, based on all of that reporting and all of just this really in-depth conversations with people who actually experience the fire. You know, it's essentially a narrative that starts at the beginning of the day and, and goes all the way through the aftermath of the fire of, you know, all this chaos of this evacuation, you know, it, it chronicles the narrative of people who went through it, like their personal experience. And it's just written in a really compelling way. You really feel connected with the people who are in the stories. Um, it's terrifying. It's it's heartbreaking. Um, but it's it's an incredible read. And I, I highly recommend it. And Boone, I'm going to put you on the spot. But as someone who reports on fires, when you're not reporting on consumer tech, or producing the podcast. This is also something that's personal to you. Yeah, I, I mean, I grew up in Northern California, which burns every year. I, I evacuated since I was a kid, you know, just about every summer. I've had family, you know, lose houses and, and kind of livelihoods to fires and whatnot. So I, I think living in the state and just experiencing it more and more every year, um, I, I, I really felt a, a connection to, to this book and, you know, all of these fires that are out there. So stay safe, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent recommendation. That's Paradise by, what's the writer's name? Lizzie Johnson. Lizzie Johnson. Thank you for that. Mike, what's your recommendation? I'm going to recommend a game. Okay. Uh, it's, a VR game? No. It's, uh, it is a, uh, a virtual world game, but it takes place in the real world. So it's what's called like a playground game where you hold a controller and you actually have physical movements, but the gameplay is dictated by a computer. It's called Johann Sebastian Joust. <laughs> uh, it's available for Steam and a couple other platforms, but uh, it uses the, the PlayStation Move controllers, okay. which if you haven't seen them, they look kind of like a, like a handheld microphone or like an ice cream cone. Mm-hmm. They're cylindrical with like a ball on top and the ball has a light, lights up. Lights up different colors and they're wireless. So they connect wirelessly to your computer or to your PlayStation and it allows you to like run around the room and hold this motion sensitive controller. So the game plays over a speaker. It plays uh, Bach music. And when it's playing slowly, the sensitivity of the movement sensors in the controllers is very, very high. So you have to move very slowly so it doesn't sense your movement. And then when the music speeds up, the sensitivity drops. So you can move around a lot more vigorously. The point of the game is to knock the controller out of your opponent's hand. So if you do this while the music is playing slowly, you'll lose because just you moving in on them to swat their controller is enough to to set off your own controller. So you have to wait until the music speeds up, then you make your move. So. It's a lot of fun and it's very physical. I've played this game over the years and it's gotten a little bit better over the years. I don't know if it's been updated recently, but I can say I played it uh, two or three months ago and it was much better than when I played it two or three years ago. So yeah, Johann Sebastian Joust. And so you're listening to Bach as you're doing this. Yeah. Presumably. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's it's sort of like a like a an ambient experience. It's not you're not wearing headphones or anything. It's like you set it up outside. Usually you do need a big room. So, you know, you need probably like 25 by 25 in order for it to be really fun. Uh, and you kind of play round robin. And then, you know, if you have a big group of people, you can sort of have a, a champion at the end who's beat everybody else in the room. It's a lot of fun. I recommend setting it up like in a backyard or at a block party or something. 
Do you own this? I do not. Oh, I was going to say, I like was feeling slightly offended that you had not invited me to play. <laughs> I have not invited you over to play because I don't own the uh, the PlayStation Move controllers okay. or a copy of this game. But enough people in my circle uh, have it where I've played it in a couple different venues. It's most fun outside because there's a lot of shouting involved. So That sounds really fun. Yeah, it really is. Also, I think like Sony, you're probably going to get a box at the office in the next like three days from Sony that's like, here you go. Oh, yeah, you right. you just said you don't have it. Well, I should mention it's an indie game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like Sony That's could send great. me the hardware, which is fine. If they want to, I'll send it right back. Yeah, <laughs> support the indies. Uh, yes. What is your recommendation? Wait, wait, can, wait. Can I ask it? Can I ask what yes, a recommendation? Yes, absolutely. Is? Sure. Okay. <laughs> Lauren. Yes. What is your recommendation? My recommendation nice. is not nearly as fun or as deep as the recommendations you guys have offered today. Um, I was going to recommend Impeachment on Hulu because I've been watching that lately, but I'm pretty behind on it. Like in the sense that I think it came out in 2021 and now I'm just I'm just catching up. I thought you were going to say the concept of impeachment. Yeah, the concept, <laughs> absolutely the concept of impeachment. Wow. Especially if you can get the Senate on board. Uh, but um, no, my recommendation this week is breakfast salad. Hmm. Two of my favorite words. So combine them. Combined. Yes. And sometime between the hours of like 7 and 11 in the morning, eat it. And it's a breakfast salad. And this just happened because I've been making some salads in the evening and then in the morning when I'm looking for something to eat and we've been going back into the office. So I'm like rushing to leave for the office. I just grab a salad, throw it in a a plastic bag. And have it for breakfast at the office. And it's great. It's delicious. And I'm a fan of pastries. Like, I love pastries. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, your sugar sort of crashes after you have that. They're not the most filling or healthy thing to have in the morning. And then you're hungry again by, like, 10 a.m. if you've just had, like, a croissant or something. This has been so much healthier and more filling, depending on what you put on the salad. So we're not talking about salads made of breakfast things. There's not like, uh, you know, eggs and granola and bacon bits in your salad. We're talking about like salads that you would normally eat in the evening that you eat in the morning. Yeah, or a lunchtime salad, but have it in in the morning. I'm a big fan of of breakfast for every meal. Same. Typically, I'm, yes, like eggs for every meal. Yeah. Absolutely. Chilaquiles for dinner. Yeah. So just, yes. Come on. Just mix it up. Yeah. What I'm basically saying is live your life. Don't be constrained by whatever ideas you had before of what you're supposed to eat when. Just enjoy life. This is difficult for me because you're asking me to take my favorite meal of the day and replace it with my least favorite part of another meal of the day, which is the salad course <laughs> of a of a dinner. That's really your least favorite part? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like it's important. But do I draw as much enjoyment? Well, okay, no, I can't say that because like a tomato with like salt and olive oil and a little bit of balsamic on it, especially this time of year, delightful, absolutely divine. Yes. Right? Yes. Now, I will offer one caveat as part of this. I put this on Twitter this morning. It has been somewhat controversial. (laughs) The concept of breakfast salads. No, the concept of hating arugula. Arugula is hands down the worst leafy green. No. It's bitter. It's stringy. It's like practically a choking hazard. (laughs) (laughs) I hate arugula so much. So don't put arugula in your breakfast salad is my advice. What if I like arugula? Well, I don't know what to tell you then. You just told me to enjoy life. And now you're telling me to restrict. (laughs) If you get enjoyment out of arugula, I don't know what to tell you. I'll go to bat for arugula. It's just, it's all right. It's pretty good. 
I'll eat it. Yeah. The wor- <gasps> By the way, the worst green leafy vegetable, iceberg lettuce. That's true because it has no nutritional value. And then radicchio. Right. It- no, radicchio is so good. <laughs> oh, my God. Have you ever had like a little endive and radicchio with a little bit of blue cheese? Oh, you're vegan. Sounds horrible. Never mind. Sounds horrible. Never mind. Endive and radicchio at the same time. You know, just when I was starting to think you guys were like little gems. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Let us please end this podcast. Let us, yeah, yeah, it can remain here Let anymore. us wrap up and leave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Boone cannot remain here any longer. We must let him go. But Boone, you have to come back sometime because this is really fun. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll, I'll be here. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> You'll just be here in the room. I'll be here every week. <laughs> Unless you fire me, which, you know. Please come back to the microphone sometime soon. Happy to do it. All right. And Mike, thanks for being a great co-host, even if you do like arugula. Of course. No shade. And (laughs) thanks to everyone for listening, especially if you've made it this far. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. Our producer is... The man who was our guest today, Boone Ashworth, the one and only. (laughs) Goodbye for now. We'll be back next week with more hot takes on lettuce. (laughs) Lettuce Lab. This is this is difficult for me because you're taking like my favorite meal of the day Mm -hmm. and you're asking me to replace it. It's the inside of my brain right now. That's just a sick beat. This is, I should just go back to pastries. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to leave all this in. Yeah.